Welcome to Ask a Professional. We've got myself, Paige Heitman, and Summer Overshawn here today. Welcome, Summer. Good morning, Paige. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Brian Creedy, an ENT, so ear, nose, and throat physician with the Phelps Health Medical Group. Welcome to our show today, Dr. Creedy. Thanks for having me on. It's been a little bit. I know. We're glad to have you back. We were just talking about how you kind of you kind of ghosted us there for a while. Well, I'm back, <laughs> and I'm willing to help out any way I can. So. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you. So since it's been a while since we've had you on, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and why you chose to work at Phelps Health. Sure. So uh, I grew up uh, uh, kind of in the local area. I'm from Washington, Missouri originally. I uh, went to medical school down at St. Louis University and joined the joined the Army after that and did my training down in uh, San Antonio and was stationed at Fort Leonard Wood for four years uh, from 2010 to 2014. Uh, during that time, I started to help cover call with the ENT service here at Phelps Health, and it just led to uh, an interview and eventual position. I've been, I've been happy to be a, a part of the community since then. Awesome. Great. So what do you love about working at Phelps Health so much? What keeps you here? Well, I had a couple of options coming out of the Army. Um, I interviewed at a couple of different spots, but uh, it was the family atmosphere uh, of the folks I was working with at the time, um, as well as the way we, we treated our patients. Like I said, it, it really was like taking care of your own family, and I, I felt uh, felt at home here. That's awesome. That's good to hear. I like that. So, you know, today we're talking about something that's kind of unique. It's um, vertigo, dizziness, and balance problems. So according to the Hearing and Balance Clinic, it affects like 90 million Americans, which is a pretty large portion of our country. So to get us kind of kicked off, what even is vertigo? So there's a lot of confusion in regards to this. A lot of people think vertigo is a diagnosis. It's actually a symptom. Um, vertigo, the definition of vertigo is essentially a sensation of movement when, when you're not. A lot of people get that confused with uh, dizziness, lightheadedness, uh, all sorts of things. But essentially, it's a sensation of movement when you're not. Uh, it's typically caused by inner ear problems, but there are some other, other things that can cause that. So. And what are the different types of vertigo or the symptoms of vertigo that somebody can have? So there's two main categories of vertigo. There's a peripheral vertigo, which is caused by inner ear problems. And then there's a central vertigo, which is caused by more central nervous problems, problems with the brain, things like that. We typically see and treat uh, peripheral vertigo, and there's really uh, four to five main types of that. Uh, the most common thing that we see is something called benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. It's a BPPV for short. That's a sensation of movement when you turn your head or roll over in bed uh, that lasts for just a couple of seconds and, and then resolves. That's probably the most common thing that we see. There's another type that's called Meniere's disease. Um, that's typically seen, it's a little more common in women, typically postmenopausal women. And what you get with that is a sensation of fullness in the ear along with hearing loss, ringing, and then the sensation of vertigo that lasts anywhere from 30 minutes to several hours. And then you just don't feel well for the next um, several days. That's more episodic. Uh, you'll see that uh, some people get it once a month. Some people get it, you know, once or twice a year. Uh, that's another type of vertigo that we treat commonly. So you said, like, that can last 30 minutes or up to several hours. Um, that sounds terrible. It is. It <laughs> can be very debilitating. And uh, uh, there are uh, different treatments for it from very conservative with just medications all the way up to, to surgery to have that corrected. But uh, it can be a big problem. Hmm. Can you tell if you're going to get like an onset of vertigo when it's coming or does it just immediately happen and then you're incapacitated? Well, it depends on the type. With the BPPV, which we mentioned earlier, that kind of comes on suddenly and typically you know the head movements that are going to set that off. And like I said, that's usually brief, can be debilitating still, but not nearly as bad as some of the others. With Meniere's disease, typically you'll notice the ear fullness or some sort of sensation that's going to come on before the symptoms start. So there is, uh, there is are some things that can let you know that you're, you're getting ready to have a, have a problem there. 
So with the women who are affected, like, going through menopause, once they, like, are finished with menopause itself, does that essentially go away, that vertigo, or does that stay with them the rest of their life? So the interesting thing with Meniere's disease is uh, you keep having these episodes, and unfortunately it comes at the cost of your hearing. With each subsequent episode, your hearing gets a little bit worse. Usually it's just one-sided. Uh, very rarely it can be bilateral, which is very debilitating. Um but what you'll find is it typically burns itself out into its uh, typically 60s and 70s. But usually there's a significant degree of hearing loss that uh, comes on with that. And is there any type of therapy that women can do to gain any of that hearing back? Or is it just once it's gone, it's gone? Well, in this case, once the hearing's gone, uh, it's gone. There's, there's nothing we can do to improve that. Unless it gets into the severe, profound range, you can talk about things like cochlear implants and so forth. But typically, it's in the moderate to severe range. And typically, things like hearing aids can sometimes be helpful um, in this case. And, and like I said, it's typically in women, but men, men can suffer from this mm -hmm. as well. So we've talked about men and women. So who is at risk for vertigo? Does it depend on your age, your sex? I will tell you in my experience and from the reading, it's typically seen uh, most of the ages are between like 30 to, you know, 60 to 70. I very rarely see any teenagers with vertigo, but it, it does occasionally happen. Uh, in the younger folks, it's typically things like the Meniere's disease, occasionally BPPV, but we typically see the positional type vertigos in, uh, in more of the elderly type patients. And how is vertigo different from like this dizziness or these dizzy spells? Because I know sometimes if I sit down for too long and I get up, I, I can feel dizzy sometimes. Right. So that's, what's different? That's a very good question. So uh, dizziness is a very generic term. It can mean many different things to many different people. In regards to vertigo and, and things that an ENT doctor could help you out with, it would be a sensation of spinning or, or motion when you're not moving. Uh, you mentioned uh, maybe some orthostatic hypotension where if you stand up too quick, you kind of feel lightheaded like you're going to pass out. That's not uh, anything that's related to the inner ear. Typically, it has more to do with your blood pressure and some other things like that. And then there's also other types of dizziness to where it's more of an imbalance, where you don't really feel like you're dizzy or things are moving, but you just you fall a lot because you can't really feel where your feet are uh, and so forth. And in that case, that's more related to things like peripheral neuropathy, nervous nerve problems. Maybe you've had a bilateral knee replacement. Uh, back issues can sometimes cause that. Um, so that's that's where you'd see something like that. There's really three main symptoms, systems or rather, that help us maintain our balance. One of them is our vision. So if you have any vision problems, you can sometimes run into some balance issues. The second would be our inner ear and our vestibular system. That's what helps maintain balance. And when the vestibular system's not working well, that's when you get into uh, the vertigo. And the third would be our peripheral nervous system, the sensory input we get from our legs uh, and feet, and let us know where our feet are uh, in relation to the ground. Typically, you can... Uh, you can make it through the day if just one of those is affected, but if you lose two of them, you really run into some serious balance problems and, and falls. What are some of those vision problems that a person might have? It could be anything from cataracts to glaucoma, uh, things like that. Like I said, typically we see those problems uh, in the elderly, and it can exacerbate some of these other issues because oftentimes they come in uh, conjunction with other things. For example, uh, diabetics, they'll develop peripheral neuropathy, and they, they typically develop vision problems as well. So oftentimes we'll see frequent falls and imbalance in those folks, but their inner ear and their vestibular system is working just fine. Let's go back to central vertigo for a minute. Um, what are the causes of that? And is that kind of a chronic condition then? 
it kind of depends on uh, the cause. There's things like uh, chronic atherosclerotic disease where the, the arteries and the, and the brain get narrowed and you lose blood supply. Uh, traumatic brain injuries from car accidents, or in this area we see a lot of military folks with traumatic brain injuries. You can see it uh, in that instance as well, and sometimes some chronic neurological problems such as uh, you know, myasthenia gravis or, or ALS, things like that can cause problems uh, like that as well. So it really depends on the cause. How does vertigo affect the ears? So as an ENT, what are some instances that you have seen with somebody with vertigo and how like their hearing has affected how they're able to balance and walk? So the hearing system and the balance system are intimately related. Uh, they're essentially uh, contained within the same organ in the inner ear. Uh, there's the cochlea, where that's the where hearing is generated from, and it has to do with fluid motion and, and, and movement of hair cells. And then there's the balance system, and you oftentimes hear of the balance canals or semicircular canals. And so the job of the vestibular system is, number one, to keep your eyes focused uh, forward uh, when you're moving and so forth. And it also allows you to, to determine where you are in space because of gravity and so forth. So if there's a problem with the cochlea, you're going to develop hearing loss. If there's a problem with the vestibular system, that's where you get into vertigo. There are some diseases that can affect both. Um, we haven't really got into this one yet, but there's another form of vertigo that we see quite a bit. It's called uh, labyrinthitis and or vestibular neuronitis. That's essentially a viral infection of the uh, either the balance, the hearing system, or both. With labyrinthitis, typically you develop hearing loss and severe vertigo for sometimes up to a week, and then it eventually gets better on its own as you recover from the viral system, uh, uh, infection rather. With vestibular neuronitis, that's a viral infection that's isolated to the vestibular system alone. And so what you get with that is this very intense room spinning type vertigo, you're nauseous, you're vomiting, and you feel that way for three to four days and you eventually recover, but typically there's some residual balance, uh, uh, balance problems after that's completed. With somebody with vestibular vertigo, do they have to go through like any type of therapy, or I guess anybody with vertigo, is there a cure for it? Do they have a period where they can go and see somebody? Yeah, there's lots of things that can be done, um, and it depends on the type. For example, with the positional vertigo that we discussed about, um, that's typically caused by a movement of some calcium deposits in one portion of the inner ear where it's supposed to be, and they get it, they break loose and get into the uh, the balance canals. So with that, there's different repositioning maneuvers that you can do, and that's something that we can do in the office, or sometimes we'll refer you to a physical therapist, or sometimes even give you uh, some exercises to do at home. So that's very treatable for most folks. Uh, if it gets really severe and the head position uh, repositioning maneuvers don't work, there are surgeries that can be done to fix that, but that's pretty unusual to need something like that. Uh, with Meniere's disease, which is the hearing loss, ear pressure, and the dizziness that comes on episodically, uh, we don't know exactly the cause of that. It used to uh, be, th uh, the thought used to be that it was caused by an overproduction of fluid within the inner ear. So typically we would treat that with things like blood pressure medications and low sodium diet. Um, it turns out that the uh, overpressure in the inner ear may not be the cause of that, but for whatever reason, those medications still work. Uh, and I also mentioned there's several surgeries that can be done for that, but that's typically for severe cases that debilitate people for weeks at a time. Um, in regards to vestibular neuronitis, unfortunately, there's no great treatments for that. What we would recommend for folks like that would be rest and then something called vestibular rehab. It's a special form of physical therapy where they help your brain relearn how to maintain balance in, in awkward situations and so on and so forth. So after surgery, um, what are the 
outcomes usually? Are they back to a baseline, like a normal, or is there, are they still, do they still experience a little bit, but it's not nearly as bad as before, or does it just depend? It's going to depend from patient to patient. With the positional type vertigo, uh, that typically does a pretty good job of taking care of it. It's a very invasive surgery. It's not something that you would do just because yeah. you're having symptoms once or twice a year. It's typically folks that have daily symptoms and they just can't function, can't go to work, and in, in that case, um, they would have the surgery for that. And typically, it fixes it. Now, with Meniere's disease, there's a lot of controversy in regards to the surgeries that are done for it. Um, some ENT providers, you know, really push for it and say, hey, this seems to work very well, and others aren't, aren't so convinced. So there's a lot of research to be done uh, into this still. And then when you get into the vestibular neuronitis and some of the central causes, typically there's not much you can do for that short of um, the, the special physical therapy. Hmm. So this kind of made me think of a, a weird and kind of unusual question. What are the things that we don't necessarily have to have in our ears in order to let them function appropriately? Like what, what types of surgery, whenever you do this Meniere surgery, mm-hmm. what can you remove? So you're not really removing anything. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're, you, you do what's called a vestibular shunt. Um, they drill into the inner ear and put a, a special type of valve in there to help relieve pressure and, and so on and so forth. Um, like I said, the, the research, uh, some shows that it helps, some shows that it doesn't. Uh, you don't really, you do run the risk of losing your hearing anytime you're doing anything like that, though that risk would be relatively small. The biggest risk of the surgery, um, short of the general anesthetic and so forth, would be that you continue to have, have symptoms. Okay. What about um, hereditary? So whenever we talk about vertigo, if somebody mm-hmm. has that, is it because their family members have had it or there's a history of it in, on their mom or dad's side? There are hereditary forms of this, uh, and uh, typically they present at a younger age, but there's also uh, forms that can uh, present in adolescence or even later in life, and typically they're associated with other problems like uh, blindness and, and hearing loss and so forth. So they're all con- there are congenital uh, types. Um, there seems to be uh, a potential uh, uh, familial form uh, of Meniere's disease. If it run, it can sometimes run in families. BPPV, I have, I'm not aware of any familial uh, relationship with that one. That one's typically caused by uh, sometimes head trauma, or believe it or not, when you get vestibular neuronitis, you get some viral damage to the inner ear. Most of those folks typically will develop BPPV after <laughs> getting through that infection, uh, which can be very frustrating. Uh, you know, yeah, to go them. from one vertigo right. to yeah. another type you of vertigo. So wow. how common is this in your office? How often do you see this? Oh, I'd say I, I see probably three or four patients a day so with this. So this is one of your top complaints? Uh, it's a very common one. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say it's my top complaint, but it's one we see a lot. Um, and like I said, not everyone that comes in says I have vertigo actually has vertigo. Mm-hmm. Typically, you know, sometimes it can be related to orthostatic hypotension. Or like I said, we'll see someone that's got some significant peripheral neuropathy or have had some extensive orthopedic surgery. And they have trouble determining where their feet are in space. Mm-hmm. And it's more uh, imbalanced. But we can mm-hmm. offer treatment for that um, yeah. as well. So. so that made me think of another question. So whenever we suffer from vertigo, do our other body parts try to compensate for that? Or does our whole body just kind of start to fall apart? Uh, there are some things that we can do to compensate. It's just, you know, kind of like when you get off, you know, some of the rides at the carnival, you know, you get off, you feel kind of dizzy, you kind of have to, you know, hold yourself, you know, hold on to something to, to know that, hey, I'm, I'm still not moving. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically, I said, the, the vision system, the vestibular system work intimately together to maintain our balance. And typically, if, if uh, the vestibular system's off, you're going to have trouble with your vision um, as well. So, but for the most part, yeah, just your whole body is, is off. 
That sounds kind of scary. It can be. I think for for a lot of people that might suffer from this, it would cause a lot of anxiety, yeah. right? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. This is very angst-inducing for yeah. sure. Um, some people are much better at managing this than others, and other people, you know, like I said, it does cause a lot of anxiety, and even the fact of just trying to get up out of bed and go to the bathroom in the morning can, can be uh, very nerve-wracking, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I just think about the times, like you like you said earlier, where you've turned over in bed and you have that feeling, that spinning sensation mm-hmm. and how terrible that feels. I just can't imagine having to deal with that yes, on like, a regular basis. Sometimes I'll, like, have dreams and I'll have a dream that I'm falling. And mm-hmm. that's very, like, scary and yeah. stress-inducing for me. But there, it's nothing compared probably to this, right? And imagine getting up and being worried that you're going to fall down whenever mm-hmm. you get up to go to the bathroom. Right. And there's nobody around. I had a friend um, several years ago um, who had episodes like this quite a bit. And she, she said that what she would always do is, like, focus on a spot, one spot on the wall, and just really, really pay attention to that to try to slow that spinning down. Is there is there truth to that, or was well, that just her? I think that helps focus your vision a little uh-huh. bit. So, like I said, when your vestibular system is off, your eyes will move. You'll have something called nystagmus. Well, they're just kind of shutter uh, in in the in your uh, in your orbits your your eyes will so your visual fields kind of flutter a little bit uh, as well which is also very disorienting and there are types of vertigo that can be visually suppressed by staring at something so yeah there are mm-hmm. there's some truth to that 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 could be helpful mm-hmm. so if somebody has vertical how else can it affect their daily life like should they be driving should they go to work should they have somebody that they can call very quickly so these are all very good questions and they come up in the office quite a bit Uh, so it really depends on how frequent this is occurring in what situations you're having problems and so on and so forth so let's just say you know you've got some mild uh, positional type vertigo where you roll over in bed the room spins for a couple seconds you can get up move around you're good to go in that instance i wouldn't be afraid to let them you know operate a, a vehicle or anything like that but if every time you turn your head the room starts spinning for you know a minute that's probably something you know someone that shouldn't be driving uh that's someone that should maybe have some help in the home um to help prevent falls or help them pick up you know pick themselves up if they if they do fall so yeah great advice what about diet and exercise does that have any effect on vertigo or can it 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 does it does it really depends on the type so for Meniere's disease there are different diets like i mentioned the low sodium diet uh, can be helpful um for that, and you can find this information online mm-hmm. if you're interested. Um, it's it's available out there everywhere. Um, exercise, just movement, and kind of retraining your brain how to manage this can oftentimes be helpful. For example, with the positional vertigo or the BPPV, that typically gets better on its own without any treatment. We mentioned the head repositioning maneuvers that can expedite the recovery, but just getting your brain to accommodate and and kind of get through that can oftentimes make things a lot better. So yeah, exercise can be very helpful with this. But obviously. You want to do that cautiously. You don't want to fall and, and hurt yourself either. So you mentioned a low sodium diet. What's the connection with sodium? Does that exacerbate it somehow? Well, as mentioned earlier, there was a theory that uh, the Meniere's disease could potentially be related to an overproduction of fluid within the uh, the middle ear. So the low sodium diet, the thought there would be that would help reduce fluid retention and so on. Okay. So speaking about vertigo, you know, you mentioned that you get three to four people in a day that have these types of issues, but they don't necessarily know that it's vertigo. So what are some of the other balance problems that people suffer from that maybe aren't necessarily vertigo diagnosed? Sure. So oftentimes we'll get referrals for lightheadedness. Like I said, they'll they'll get a diagnosis of dizziness and and vertigo. Like I said, vertigo is not really a diagnosis. It's more of a a symptom. And, And typically... 
the diagnosis is typically dizziness. And like I said, dizziness can mean many things to, to many different people. So uh, we do see a, light of, a lot of um, lightheadedness or what we call presyncope, where you feel like you're getting ready to faint. There's things like postural hypertension that can cause that. Maybe there's an issue with your blood pressure medication that would be causing uh, things like that. So if you have symptoms similar to that, I would recommend speaking with your primary care provider saying, hey, you know, I'm feeling dizzy. I'm feeling lightheaded. I feel like my blood pressure is dropping. You know, that needs to be looked into. And we, we see a lot of that and, and you know, make the appropriate recommendations um, um, for that. And then there's a lot of imbalance. Like I said, we'll see a lot of elderly um, uh, folks that have, you know, relatively severe peripheral neuropathy. They've had multiple orthopedic surgeries. Their vision isn't that great. And it's more they fall a lot. It's not that they're having vertigo. Their inner ear is functioning just fine. But their vision and their peripheral nervous system is not allowing them to maintain their balance. So, like, when should someone come and see you? Is it when they start noticing that it's really impacting their life and their and their um, the things that they love to do? Is that when they need to come and talk to you, or if they're able to manage it on their own, can they can should they just continue to do that? I would recommend to get this checked out. This is a very complex issue. It's very confusing uh, to figure out because there's things like you know there's a chance you may be having a stroke. So I, I always recommend getting checked yeah. out. Honestly, that's funny that you said that, Dr. Creedy, because when I was reading through your notes page, mm -hmm. um, one of the things I, I made a note of was that some of these um, symptoms mimic stroke. Yeah, so it can be very confusing. So I always recommend that uh, you let your primary care provider mm -hmm. know, or if you're concerned, go to the emergency room because there is a chance you know these symptoms could be caused by a stroke as well, which is a, a much more serious issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a note that I just made. Um, why is it so important to have a relationship with your primary care provider? This is exactly why, because you don't know exactly right. what is going on. So if they want to come in for an appointment, they should probably contact their primary care provider. They can get a referral for an ENT, or maybe they have to go to the ER. Mm -hmm. But having those relationships is really important, right? You got it. You got it. So what's your process for appointments right now? Do you have openings? Are you doing telehealth to see people with these types of issues? We're doing telehealth, but this is one of those instances where I'd like to see them in the office. There's different tests we need to do to assess for the type of vertigo there, this may be. Um, in particular, I mentioned the eye movements. There's particular uh, body positions that we do, and we look at the movement in the eyes and kind of give us an idea for, for what's going on. Then additionally, our audiologists help us out uh, quite a bit with this. They will check their hearing, see if there's any hearing problems associated with this and they've got a special test called a video nystagmogram where they put these goggles on your eyes and they'll do different maneuvers and put hot and cold air into your uh, ears and allows them to see the eye movements that can also help us figure out what's going on whether this is a peripheral vertigo that we can treat or more of a central cause so that's what I would recommend. Whenever you do those, are you trying to incite the vertigo to figure out what it is? Oftentimes we will, especially for the positional type vertigos. I always warn patients that, hey, I'm going to make you dizzy. Mm -hmm. But if, if we can do that, that's, that's great because I've got some treatment options for you. So, yeah, sometimes we do. I feel like that would be kind of unnerving to be it to can, a doctor's It can office. be. It's like when you go to the eye doctor and that they're wait, you're waiting for that eye puff. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like, oh. Yeah, they yeah, tell you it, ahead of time, yeah. hey, this is going to be uncomfortable. It can be. Like I said, I always let them know, hey, if we if we make you dizzy here, this is actually a good thing because I think mm -hmm. I can help you out with mm -hmm. this. So. Awesome. Great. Well, um, we're getting ready to wrap up here, but I want to give you a minute to just let everybody who's listening know, like, what what can they do for treatments and should they come in? Yes. Yeah, so I would highly recommend anyone that's having any of these symptoms to either be evaluated by their primary care provider, uh, go to the emergency room. Like I said, these can sometimes be symptoms of stroke or um, come see us uh, over at uh, Phelps out in the ENT office. We'd be happy to see them at any time. And you are accepting new patients. Absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. So today we've been speaking with Dr. Brian Creedy, an ENT, so ear, nose, and throat physician. 
with the Phelps Health Medical Group. Dr. Creedy is currently accepting new patients. To schedule an appointment, call 573-364-5719. I'd like just to add, we also have office hours in Waynesville, so it makes it a little bit more convenient. Hey, there we go. So now you've got a couple of different options. If you missed part of the show or would like to listen to it again, please visit phelpshealth.org.